0: telehealth, you know, when you hear the word, you think of like a, you know, a doctor with an MD over a TV screen, you know, telling you about which prescriptions to take, but really it's about using technology, which is part of our everyday life, to navigate, you know, your own health information, your health questions, and anyone can do that. They just need the right skills. Librarians are uniquely equipped, but I think there's also an enormous role that librarians can, can play and equipping community leaders with those same skills.
1: Welcome to episode 461 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. This is Rye Marcatilio mccracken here at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. This week on the podcast, we welcome broadband analyst and telehealth advocate Craig Settles, Diane Connery, the Special Projects Librarian in Pottsburg, Texas, and Adam Eckelman, Executive Director of Libraries Without Borders the group talks about the role of libraries in facilitating more resilient communities and how this new dimension of telehealth is just another among the array of ways that libraries have been and continue to be an access point for information for their communities. They talk about how trusted and locally rooted digital navigators have become folded into the fabric of libraries and the part that can play in both treating illness and preventing it. Along the way, Diane shares how these tools have manifested into new options for staff and residents in the town of Pottsburg. Now here's Christopher talking with Craig, Diane, and Adam. Welcome to
2: another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. And today we have a special show. We have our first ever, I think, uh, co-host, honorary co-host, uh, Craig Settles, uh, broadband analyst and telehealth advocate, and guy who really did the first regular broadband podcast as far as I can tell. Craig, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. And I guess we have been on each other's show over the years. So this is sort of the uh outgrowth of all that. And so it's, yeah, it's definitely great to be here.
2: Yes. And so I'm naming you honorary co-host because you have suggested two uh, panelists, two two other guests to have on to talk with about uh, some very interesting uh, synergies between uh, important topics lately. Uh, I'm going to introduce Diane Connery, the Special Projects Librarian in Pottsburg, Texas. Welcome to the show.
4: Hi, thanks for having me.
2: And we're also going to bring on Adam Eckelman, the executive director at Libraries Without Borders. Welcome.
0: Hey, Chris. Thanks again for having me, too. Great to be here with you, Diane and Craig.
2: Yes, I'm excited. And and it's funny because um, I feel like years ago we were asking, um, what is the role of the library in the digital age? And I, I don't know, maybe now after this show, people will be thinking, what isn't the role of the library in the digital age?
4: I'm on a lot of calls weekly that discuss that. And even among libraries, um, there's a lot of of conversation. So uh, yes, I'm happy to talk about it and in particular rural libraries, as often as I'm invited.
2: Excellent. So so Craig, you called me up and, or, or emailed me, which is the same thing. And, and you were talking about the role of the libraries in moving into telehealth. You've been working on telehealth for a while. Uh, why does it make sense to think about libraries with regard to telehealth?
3: When you look at the, um, the things that they had, the movements that, that the libraries have been involved with, right? We look at um, well broadband itself, and how that has become like the main, one of the main roles of libraries. But if you look at, um, you know, the trend, when we went through the transition to digital TV, libraries were on the the forefront of helping their patrons understand and to walk through that process. When we had the um, uh, Obamacare, and that was passed, all of a sudden, there were lots of people who had lots of questions. And so navigators became a a part of the library culture where they provided services and and people to help patrons navigate the different aspects of the uh, Affordable Care Act. So if you look at that roles or the series of roles that they've had, lot the, li- the uh, telehealth in the library they, um, it's very valid uh, a role because um, the people who don't have uh, broadband that the libraries have served in both the rural areas and the urban areas uh, the, the the seniors and so forth are often the people who suffer from um, health care uh Shortcomings, so they're already aligned with the people needing telehealth the most. So I would say, and 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 Diane and Adam can talk from their respective uh, positions. You know, Diane in the uh, rural area, and a lot of um, Adam's uh, projects are in urban areas. But I think that they can talk more about the the fitting role that libraries can play when it comes to telehealth
2: yeah adam why don't you jump in
3: yeah happily and and i just want to build
0: on what what craig said so so my team at libraries without borders our mission is to promote access to information for folks in need and it's a mission that we share with the american library association and with public libraries across the country i think the thing that is often heard is you know access to information it sounds like this kind of nebulous, very vague, very librarian-esque term, but it's not. Information, and by information, you know, today I'm talking about basic literacy, access to books, access to broadband internet, access to computers, digital literacy skills. That is healthcare. It's not separate from, it's not part of. You cannot read a prescription. You cannot have a telehealth appointment if you don't have, you know, high-speed internet, if you don't have a computer computer, or a functioning device, and if you don't know how to use it. And so, you know, my team at Libraries without Borders and our partners, which are public library systems across the country, we started doing health literacy and health education work, not as a afterthought, but just kind of naturally and organically. And I think that's often how public libraries end up doing so much. It's not because libraries are wearing so many hats, it's because by definition, a library is a, it's an information hub, it's a resource, you know, Craig mentioned the Affordable Care Act, you know, for decades, libraries have been the access point for information, whether that's information about, you know, whether it's a community gathering space in the 1980s around HIV AIDS, whether it's a, gathering space, you know, for folks who are dealing with mental health issues. Um, and they just need a quiet, safe place where they can feel respected. I mean, I think, as we as a country are like focusing in on COVID-19, we also have to zoom out and look really broadly at health and all the ways that libraries have always been handling health issues.
2: Right. So to to sum that up, it's uh it's nothing new. It's something that the libraries have always done. And there's this new dimension part of it now that that may make it a little bit more interesting in in some regards. Absolutely.
3: I like to um, have Diane explain their project and some of the hurdles they overcame to, uh, to make this all happen.
4: We are a town in North Texas, about an hour and a half North of Dallas, a town of 2,500 people. And there's, no newspaper, no TV station. The nearest hospital is 30 minutes away. Um, there are no doctors in town. And um, th- when you do the research, people in rural areas actually have lower health outcomes than their peers in suburban and urban areas. Uh, people put off going to see a healthcare provider because it takes a long time. Usually nobody wants to go to see a doctor anyway. Uh, And when the pandemic started, our area has so many barriers to um, broadband infrastructure that we as a library stayed open because people had to have access to the internet. And um, so we started getting some calls, people saying that their healthcare providers wanted to have an appointment with them, but did not want the patient to come into the office. So those people were coming into the library to to have an appointment. And um, one of the things we deal with, because infrastructure is such an issue here, it's also those lack of um, digital skills that Adam mentioned. So there's a lot of us helping people connect, log on, all of, of that. And so we're a small town. Our library is an old post office. It was basically one room. And so in terms of privacy, when those people would need to have an appointment, they would come in and I would put them in my office, which was the only private space. And um, so we started getting a little more of that. And then uh, some funding came out through the National Library of Medicine. And we were able to uh, apply for a $20,000 grant um, to through COVID funds to help with outreach and launch our telehealth um, program. And I'm sitting right now in a junk room that we made (laughs) into a private space. Uh, It's got great lighting, fast internet connection. And um, as I consider the library an information utility, whatever form that information comes in. And so uh, library staff here has taken a number of health literacy classes and um, we help people walk through the process as much as they need with logging in and then we'll leave them alone in the private space. And then if they have medical questions afterwards, then we're able to point them to authoritative resources. So if they've been diagnosed with something they want more information about, um, we can help you know get them to medline plus or some other resources where we know that it's good information
2: when you started that was it mainly about having a room with privacy and a computer that had like the the video chatting software installed on it or was there there more that had to be done
4: through a previous grant, an esports grant, we were the first uh, public library in the nation to have an esports team. Through that grant, we that's had. That's
2: cool. I don't want to interrupt <laughs> you, but that is that's really cool.
4: <laughs> Thank you. Um, we have, for what is Pottsboro, the very fastest internet connection in town, and so many people don't have it at home. Then that, you know, it led to we are the community catalyst. We are the leader in digital issues in our community. So, yeah, um, I think having the hardware and then providing a a private space, because that is one of the things we've learned along the way, even some people who have internet at home and who have the skills to connect, they still don't have a private space to sit and talk about, um, their healthcare issues.
2: And I guess the last question before I let anyone else, um, follow up on this is, is then do you have a process in which people then have to check it out? I mean, to make sure that you don't have multiple people who have set up their doctor appointments at the the same time on the same day?
4: Exactly, and I have had wonderful partners with this, because when I I conceptualized it, I could wrap my head around the library end of it, and then we were having those kind of one-off appointments I mentioned, but I couldn't figure out how we would get volumes of people without overlapping, and so we connected with the University of North Texas Health Science Center and, um, I'm a fly by the seat of my pants person. So, uh, luckily being a small library with almost no bureaucracy, if I have an idea, I can implement it that afternoon. Well, that doesn't work for healthcare providers. So <laughs> we had a series of in-person and zoom meetings, um, with different teams, disinfection protocol, marketing, you know, all sorts of different teams and, um, so they helped me walk through what this process would be. So Tuesdays and Fridays, they ha- have healthcare providers. When a person needs an appointment, they call the health science center, not the library. The health science center takes care of payments and appointments. And so the library, we get an email the afternoon before with no names, no diagnosis, no issue health issues. It just says, library, you will have someone there for an appointment at 11 a.m. tomorrow or 2 p.m. And so um, we're able to to keep things private because that's a big deal with librarians is is respecting privacy.
2: Wow, that is that is remarkable. I, I feel like too many people lack an understanding of how much innovation comes from small towns and and folks like yourself that don't have to deal with a bureaucracy
4: (laughs) (laughs) yes yes in that way you know sometimes rural libraries feel like um not not quite as good as urban libraries but i will tell you i'm a believer now and i've always lived in big cities before this but um because when i started working with the library volunteering 10 years ago we had no taxpayer funding the city didn't care what we did if i could find grants for it and it didn't cost them money they would say go for it and even now as they've kicked in and are giving us significant funding for a small town they still give us so much freedom and that innovation is absolutely why i do what i i do
2: Excellent, Adam. Is there anything that that um, jumps out to you from your experience with a lot of different libraries that you'd want to add on to?
0: Well, I think one of the phrases that Diane really mentioned is the innovative work, um, and that, that's actually where Libraries Borders often sits. You know, we are we're technically an international nonprofit organization uh, with programs in about thirty different countries. But myself, I lead the U.S. office, which is, for all intents and purposes, a pretty small nonprofit group, um, and we have operations. About six different states in the country, as well as Puerto Rico. But our work, you know, as fancy as libraries at borders might sound, is is pretty uh, it's pretty granular. So we partner with a lot of different library systems across the U.S. to help them think and then often rethink how to expand outreach activities into their communities. So we're most well known in the U.S. for bringing library services, everything from you know a digital literacy class to free tax prep uh, into laundromats across the U.S. a program that we lead called uh, the Wash and Learn Initiative. And we also have a program uh, that focuses on getting library services into trailer parks, more commonly known as manufactured housing communities uh, in rural areas. We work in churches uh, and help them expand access to Wi-Fi technology and digital literacy training as well as uh, a lot of work in South Texas. Um, so we're, we're kind of all over, but you know, one of the reasons why Craig and I connected is because of the sheer amount of health literacy programming that we co-lead with libraries, including uh, in St. Paul actually, um, but also in San Antonio, Texas and Baltimore, Maryland in the Pittsburgh Metro area and Oakland, California. And with those different library systems, we often do, you know. We bring library systems and librarians into laundromats and to churches who then offer, you know, a. We've done everything from uh, like general how to get online, how to access reliable health information, resources like what Diane mentioned, Medline Plus, and partnerships with organizations like uh, the National Network of Libraries of Medicine. We've also done, uh, you know, pretty direct service uh, partnerships. So, together with a public library that maybe was offering a different workshop at a laundromat, we've noticed there's a really big need for um, direct testing. So we've then convened different local health organizations who will show up at the laundromat once or twice a week to do free testing. We've done HIV and STI testing. Um, We've done blood pressure and like general vitals and just educating folks about that. We've also done uh, workshops around dental health, and we've also done workshops with uh, the local WIC. So, you know, every every city has been really different because our approach has to change. You know, in, in the Pittsburgh metro area, the WIC um, has a really great partnership with uh, the local library. And so when the library started doing story time, they reached out to the local WIC office and said, hey, would you mind supplementing? We've got a lot of young parents and children here, do you think you'd be interested in stopping by and talking with parents and caregivers uh, about you know, different WIC benefits? Same thing in Minnesota. You know, We started off doing a lot of multicultural and multilingual um, story time and digital literacy programming. And uh, we were reaching a population that a local clinic, Clinic 555 was interested in targeting as well. And we said, hey, you know, we're already working in this space Do you guys want to stop by and offer some additional um, HIV and STI testing? And so, you know, I think similar to what Diane was mentioning, we often, the health literacy component, while it's often very innovative, it's also always very organic. It's just kind of figuring out what people are looking for, where people are, what people are interested in and then seeing how we can get the resources to the people where they
3: are. Yeah, I think that um, what really will help folks wrap their brain around the idea of telehealth in the library is to understand what is telehealth, right? And so we, uh, especially during COVID, uh, people identify telehealth as your video consult with your doctor. But in reality, telehealth is using the internet or intranets to connect patients with doctors. But also, I, I define it in three areas. Right? There's uh, real-time telehealth, and that's the uh, the idea of you know I pick up the phone or I pick up my uh, mouse and I dial to the my doctor and I interact and in, with them. In real time, right? There's also for uh, stored and store and forward, where if you look at the 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 barbershop idea um, that I've been talking about, the barber takes the customer's blood pressure, and they store that using the telehealth software, and then they basically send all the data uh, with the contact info for the customers to a healthcare provider, right? And so that's stored and and forward, and there's a lot of telehealth applications that rely on that, right? So it's not real time. The third part of um, telehealth that people really don't realize, it's what I call passive uh, telehealth. Right. I go to the library after I've gotten a diagnosis from my doctor and I have diabetes. So I can go to um, someone like Diane. Right. And say, what do you have? What information do you have that can help me deal with this? Right. Uh, I look at uh, Adam's program. In fact, the, the very first thing that attracted me to the this whole concept of, Uh, moving libraries into laundromats was a a video that uh, Adam's group has created in uh, St. Paul that has kids uh, using interactive content and games uh, to help them understand health concepts, right? So that aspect of Diane and other libraries explaining and how to help, you know, get information to patrons, right? The same way Adam's group pushes content that's interactive and it's fun for all ages, right? But that's what telehealth is. And so when you look at all three of those, you can look at any library and say somewhere, some aspect of telehealth in that three stages it it makes a lot of sense. I think that, uh, like I said, both Diane and uh, Adam can talk to more of that. Um, and because I know Diane, you and I have talked about this before, but I think the audience would like to know how does that comfort level with I have a you know serious disease. Can I get some help? Can I get some valuable information?
2: I was I was curious about that regarding whether librarians are already so well versed in providing healthcare related information that that they can just do this off the bat or if they need any kind of additional resources or training.
4: I would say yes, additional training is necessary for for most librarians, especially rural libraries, but it is readily available. I'm working right now with a professor, School of Information professor at Texas Women's University, and we're surveying the, all the libraries in Texas, what they would need to feel comfortable, what kind of training they do need to um, be able to do this and promote it.
0: You know, one of the things that my team has found and our partners have found to be, at the end of the day, the single most I'd argue the single most important thing in you know, health literacy, whether it's for libraries or for organizations, is trust. Health is ultimately a private issue, and we haven't been particularly successful when we're parachuting into a community to say, you know, here's technology and here's all this health information that you should know because this person or you know this website told us it was important the best way to start off in our experience has been to figure out first and foremost, what is the trusted institution? Who are the trusted leaders in this community? And how can we leverage them and equip them with the information and the resources to be strong advocates? And I think, you know, to your credit, Diane, and your community, it is the library. And so you guys have said, all right, we're trusted. How can we position ourselves to meet the need right now for telehealth? In a lot of communities where Libraries Out Borders works, whether it's you know in St. Paul or our programs in Detroit or in Baltimore and San Juan, Puerto Rico, the library is often a very trusted institution. But they, we're also working in big cities where there's a large swath of the population that isn't frequently going to the library, maybe because they don't have the uh, transportation to get there, maybe because they're working a couple jobs and They just don't have the time to stop by the library when it's open or lately because the library, you know, has had to be physically closed um, and because of the stay at home orders. And so in those cases, we have to be really, really thoughtful about who are the other trusted partners. Is it your aunt? Is it your local business owner? Is it your school teacher? Is it, you know, your friend that you catch up with at the local laundromat once a week? And then, how can we equip them with the tools to be an advocate? You know, often I'm thinking about librarianship in a really broader sense about who are the the reference specialists in your community, and how do we make sure that they have the right information? It it gets back to what Craig said as well. You know, that telehealth. You know, when you hear the word, you think of like a you know a doctor with an M.D. over a TV screen, you know, telling you about which prescriptions to take. But really, it's about using technology, which is part of our everyday life, to navigate your, you know, your own health information, your health questions. And anyone can do that. They just need the right skills. Librarians are uniquely equipped, but I think there's also an enormous role that librarians can can play in equipping community leaders with those same skills.
2: Now, we only have a, a few minutes left. So, Craig, what are, the, what are the final points we want to make sure we get out of this?
3: Well I think the big thing right now is uh money. There there seems to be a lot of money in from a lot of sources the human health health and human services uh e rate and so forth. How do we take advantage of that? And maybe that's the part where you can you know because obviously Chris you and I have been dealing with this for a while but you know let's talk more about that.
4: I can jump in there because this is an issue I'm working with this morning. Um, small library, basically a a one-person operation here. And so when I'm getting all these emails talking about billions of dollars at stake, and um, it's a lot for one person to process. It's a lot for multiple people. And so partnerships, I think, are really helping me feel more comfortable. Um, One of the best partners our library has had is a local WISP. And he's just been so willing any project we've had that come up he's put up neighborhood access stations for us out in the community he's just um, you know boosted our our signal so working with partners and then I had mentioned that the healthcare partners so I am hoping one of the answers to this complex uh, issue of how much money is working together with partners to um, decide how it can be best spent and what our priorities are.
0: I would just add to that digital literacy is just, you know, the. I feel like it's the talking point that I have to reinforce again and again because, you know, I see and I'm excited about the increasing investments in broadband and I, I'm thrilled but at the same time, we have to make sure that folks have the support to be able to effectively use broadband to access health information or just to go online in general. Um, and I hope that lawmakers are hearing that again and again, because while you know I think digital literacy and training and education isn't always the sexiest thing, it, it's just as important as internet uh, infrastructure and as device access.
2: Craig, any final
3: points? The digital navigators, um, that I think has been an under publicized uh, but vital role of libraries. How do we even better take advantage of digital navigators, you know, from the library perspective of Diane and and, and Adam?
4: We're working on that now because the idea of telehealth has so many possible directions to go. So I live in an area that's considered a certified retirement community. A lot of older people here who do not have um, the tech savvy to deal with a lot of the things more and more each day that they need to So um, I do think digital navigators at the library to help people negotiate all of that is is the area we're moving. We've started an aging in place um, series of community conversations and like we just did one on how to make your house a smart home. And so um, I think there's a lot of room out there that we can grow this whole living your better life, living where you want to live. Um, and libraries, I think, are a great partner in that effort.
0: I'll just add there that a couple things. One thing I love about the Digital Navigators program is that it's holistic. It's not just, you know, how do you access Comcast Internet Essentials or connect to a local wireless mesh network. It's also about how you use it and how you pay for it. It's all of the above, and I think that's a model that we can continue to, to improve on, and I think it's one that, we should be investing in more and more and you know i'm looking to states like maryland which just allocated a substantial budget towards digital navigators of course they have great pilot programs like salt lake city um, and then the other piece is just about you know again community investment this is not the first time that we've seen you know smart uh models come together i'm thinking about the digital stewards model uh in detroit in the role that residents themselves can play and not only sustaining but also explaining internet to other residents and i think as we're thinking about digital navigators like you know of course we want to have us we want to have certified programs we want certified professionals but also you know there should be a world in which anyone and everyone can be a digital navigator for their aunt for their brother um and that program can really be democratized so it's not just folks in some ivory tower who are explaining the internet, explaining digital literacy and how to access health content, but that everybody is equipped with those same skills.
2: Yes, I, I do think digital navigators is something that a lot of people can offer in, in terms of peer-to-peer support, but the first place to definitely look at it is your your local libraries. And it's exciting because uh, it's a natural place to continue on in that mission and I'm excited to learn about uh, what is being innovated in these rural areas in terms of making sure that we're using these wonderful assets, the wonderful people who work there uh, to solve uh, the, the modern problems that we have uh, and hopefully um, help us to, to learn how to better solve them for everyone moving forward. Um, so I want to I thank you, uh, Adam and, and Diane. Thank you for both coming on here today. Thanks, Thanks for having me.
0: Chris. Thanks, Craig.
2: And Craig... Thanks for thanks for suggesting this. Thanks for making it happen. No problem. Thank you
3: very much too, uh, Chris. It has been good to to talk about um, you know libraries. I think that's going to be a big factor in um, telehealth being established in the U.S. So
1: I'm ready. That was Christopher talking with Craig Settles, Diane Connery, and Adam Eckelman. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle's at Community Nets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle's at Muni Networks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was episode 461 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening.